guys. It's Kim again. Welcome back to Manifest and Thrive with Chi. Today, I am so excited to have this guest. He is really just a very unique, dynamic personality. His name is Tony Nardi. He is a doctor, an ER doctor, and the medical director at Health East. And so what I'd like to do is turn it over to you, Tony. Who the heck are you? Yeah, that's, so that's a, uh, it's always a hard question to answer, isn't it? Um, it feels like the Instagram, uh, what, what do you call the Instagram header that people have, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, this is who I am. I'm this and I'm this and I'm this and I'm this. Uh, and so if I was going to do that, I would tell you, I think my Instagram probably tells you that I'm an ER, I'm a dad, I'm an ER doctor, um, I'm a golfer. And I'm a thinker. And I think that's how I describe myself. So when I'm asked that question, that seems pretty simple um, and easy. But I think that if I was going to describe myself, that's the way I would do it. And I think that there's a hierarchy there as well that (laughs) people utilize. And so I am. I'm a dad. I'm a thinker. and I'm a dad, I'm an ER doctor, and I'm a thinker. I think that that's kind of how I, I present myself. Mm-hmm. So for you, you put dad at the top, but I know that the world kind of looks at like and elevates your position as a doctor. Yeah. So talk about that for just a little bit because, yeah. you know, it is impressive. We have a general understanding of the kind of education you need and the kind of um, disciplines that go into becoming a doctor. I I didn't like that kind of schooling. I like the class of life better. Mm -hmm. But we know that a lot of schooling went into that. At what age was it clear to you that that was something that interested you? I think that when when I think about when I first thought about it, it was probably high school. And it was for reasons that I think probably were a little bit unique. I, and I don't know that for sure, but I think when I was in high school, I remember thinking, I don't know what I want to do. And I see all of, even at that time, people had an idea. They wanted to do business. They wanted to do this and that. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, I have no idea what I want to do at the time. I liked my friends and I liked sports and Mm -hmm. I liked my girlfriend and that was it. Right. I was 17, 18 years old. And that's all I thought about. But I started, I always did really well in school and it always came kind of easy to me. And so I knew that I would be able to do schoolwork and and do something that was difficult. I liked science and I liked people. And so when I thought about the fact that I didn't like finance things and I didn't know what else I wanted to be, it made sense that a doctor is what I would be. And then I would be lying if I didn't say that the show ER was a big show at the time. And I remember, <laughs> I remember watching the show. All those sexy doctors. That was yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> I think more it was just kind of that the idea, like you said, I would, I would also. It's disingenuous to say that there isn't some level of prestige that society puts on it, and so that certainly, as an eighteen-year-old, and at other times, my life was a driver somehow, I would be lying if I said that it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And so I think seeing it glorified on TV, especially in that way, just fueled this idea that, Hey, maybe that's what I would be. And what I know is from there, 
in college, it again was something that I didn't know what else people were going to do. I started off being pre-med and I think the way I describe it to people is you come to these forks in the road in, mm-hmm. in life and sometimes consciously or subconsciously you go down a fork. Um, and for me, each fork consciously or subconsciously brought me closer to being a doctor. And there were times I really was intentionally doing things because this became my goal. And there was times where I would in retrospect have had no idea that that decision brought me there and it did. And so that was kind of how it came about. I I went further than where I just decided I wanted to be a doctor, but that's how it kind of came to be. It makes sense to me because at first my natural instinct is most of us have a really strong aversion to hospitals and especially ER rooms, you know, if we spend time there with a loved one or ourselves, it's like not a place I choose to be. Yeah. Now that you've shared all of that, it makes a little bit more sense. So was your family really supportive of that or was that built into their expectation? Do you think to excel at something that was really a visible career? I don't know that it was an expectation that I would excel at a visible career. I think it was an expectation in my life, spoken and unspoken, that I would do something, uh, that I would do something professional, I guess is how I would say it. My, my dad was a dentist and then quit dentistry and went to law school and became a lawyer. Okay. And so I, I grew up with him as a lawyer and my mom and stepdad uh, were professors uh, at the university. Oh, wow. And so there was my, and both my brothers excelled in school and academics. And so there was always this expectation, I think not from my parents. I wouldn't say it was like this, just, it was how it was going to be. We were going to go to college. We were going to be professionals. And that I think was the expectation, not you'll be a doctor or a lawyer. It was, <laughs> it was, you're going to be, you're going to be a professional and you're going to go to college. But again, it wasn't like, beaten into me or mm-hmm. you know told to me it was just how it was going to be well in the asian community korean community and indian dots not feathers yeah. that is an expectation those are your choices growing up you're going to be an engineer a doctor a dentist maybe a professor or a lawyer those are the five choices you have and everything else is not even an option but what was it you know er is a pretty intense setting now, i know mm-hmm. you're not in there every single day but Mm-hmm. was there ever a point where you felt like this particular area of medicine maybe isn't a fit for me? Oh, um, do you mean with emergency medicine or with other, yeah, other parts? Mm-hmm. Have I thought there, there are times there's parts of emergency medicine that don't fit perfectly with my personality. So certainly there's times, um, you know, when you're in medical school, it's, kind of think reminds me of what I said of high school. There's a lot of people that start medical school and they know exactly the type of doctor they're going to be. They're going to be a surgeon. They're going to be a family medicine doctor. They're going to be whatever. And for me, my path was a little different. And I remember being just so thrilled. I got into medical school mm-hmm. and just so thrilled. I was going to be a doctor that I honestly, this sounds so naive. I hadn't really <laughs> contemplated what type of doctor I was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I just knew that I wanted to, to be a doctor, that whole idea became a singular focus at some point. And so I was just so thrilled to be there. 
And then as you go through your medical school, you start to try to figure out what you're going to do. And you do that through experience and everything else. I didn't start thinking I was going to be an emergency doctor until probably, you know, my second or third year in school. And I even came upon emergency medicine in a little bit of a, I guess, roundabout way. It was always in the back of my brain because of what I referenced before, because of that show, the TV show. (laughs) And it just looked exciting. Um, Mm -hmm. And I liked that sort of superficial stuff about it, I think was where it first pinged me, I guess. But what happened was I I knew as I went through medical school that I liked relationship-based specialties. Uh, I knew that I wanted to be able to connect with people. And there's certain medical specialties where that's not necessarily a part of it. So I had it winnowed down to that right away. I thought I was going to be a family medicine doctor. There was a time I thought I was going to be an OBGYN doctor. There was a time I thought I was going to be a cardiologist. And I think what happened was um, I drifted away from emergency medicine because I didn't think it was relationship-based necessarily because you just see people so quickly. Yeah. I, but at the same time, I liked the excitement of it. I liked some of the brevity of it. I liked the pace of it. So then I ended up, the reason that's important, I guess, is I ended up doing a rotation as a fourth-year medical student with a emergency physician in town at Hennepin named Michelle Byros and she was she's kind of a a big shot in emergency medicine and the thing that I remember the most about it was how she treated her patients was totally different than how I expected an emergency doctor would treat their patients okay and what I especially remember is talking to her about the very thing I just mentioned which was I feel like I want to have a I I want my specialty to involve relationships and that sort of a patient-doctor interaction that you think of classically. And she said, well, I think emergency medicine is the most relationship-based specialty because you have one second to develop that relationship with somebody. And so she said, I think if you do emergency medicine right, it involves walking in the room and within 30 seconds you have to have a relationship and trust with the patient and be able to hear them and then convey your treatment plan and have their trust and everything else and it clicked with me and it clicked with me then seeing how she went about her job and I think at that moment I was like okay there's all these other things I like about it so um I this this I can do it just suddenly clicked and so from that point on that's what I was going to do You just took me on a ride because I went from why the heck would you want to be involved in that to completely understanding it. I get bored a little bit easily. So I really Mm -hmm. like a lot of different facets to whatever it is I'm doing, not just one thing. And that ability to connect with people very, very quickly is really important. And you are in a typically a very stressful situation for the patients and Mm -hmm. they need to feel a sense of safety immediately. So if you can Mm -hmm. convey that, in that stress environment, I mean, that makes perfect sense why it would be such a good fit for you. It's got to be stressful. I mean, your dad, when you see kids, does that impact you? Yes. Yeah, most definitely. There is, um, as there are lots and lots of times, and especially as I get older, that's so cliche, but especially as I get older and now I've had kids where there is transference that happens when you see patients and it's very difficult 
it's very difficult. I, I, you have it happen both ways. I have it happen if I, you know, my dad was sick last winter. And right after that, especially, it was difficult when I would see patients with similar things as he had or similar ages as him. Yeah. So you, you do, for sure. It's one of the things that I didn't anticipate necessarily about it. I didn't contemplate when I got into it, that part of it, how difficult that part of it would be. Sure. So that's probably, would you say that's one of the most challenging things is to emotionally detach from that? I think, yeah, detaching is uh, what... I think a lot of us do, but I would actually say that detaching is what we shouldn't be doing, so to speak. And so I think the defense mechanism is to detach from it. And this is totally off the subject, I guess, but I certainly know that when I was training and for the first few years, I can think back to cases that were really difficult. And I think that's how I dealt with it was detaching from it. Sure. And what I've learned, and I think as my career has gone on, I have something I think we've talked about before. I I have learned that that detachment probably doesn't serve you. So I think there's other ways to approach that Mm -hmm. and other ways that are probably healthier to deal with it. So it's one of the hardest, hardest parts. If you've had a day in the ER where there is a lot of trauma and you are sharing that yeah. you're not disconnected from what it feels like or what yeah. your patients are experiencing, how do you de- decompress from that? Because I'm an empath as well, and that's mm-hmm. a skill I had to learn how to do is not always collect everybody's feelings. And so yeah. how do you unwind if that's been your day? Yeah, well, empathy is a skill and a curse, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I, uh, I can tell you that every, I, I also do executive work on the side, like medical direction work on the side and every executive profile I ever did, because they do those for executives, right. And was my empathy score would be off the charts mm-hmm. and <clears throat> that serves me sort of as an executive, but it really serves me as a doctor, but it's also a, a, a danger or a, or a curse, so to speak. So you do, you absorb those feelings and it can be really difficult. So when I decompress from it, when I deal with it, I guess, for me personally, what I've realized is, and that's why I said that detachment, I might've done early, but I don't do it now. I think I can recognize when I've had a really hard case i can recognize when i've had a really difficult day i can recognize when i'm leaving the emergency department and it was awful so i process this is gonna make me sound like a crazy person i process out loud i'm an out loud processor so on my car ride home sometimes i will be talking out loud to myself and thinking that people driving by me because i have like a 30 minute drive between work and home okay and I will be driving and processing out loud, talking about to myself, uh, replaying kind of what happened and going through it. So I think that's one way. I, I've learned that keeping it, we, we, we detach and keep it in. That doesn't work. So I, I process out loud to myself. That's pretty cool. I've never really thought about that. But getting it out of you and hearing it, then you can just make peace with it versus it kind of mm-hmm. just circling around all the time mm-hmm. and not sure what to do with it or where to put it. And so many people don't realize that if you don't take whatever you're feeling and pull it out, it affects the body. 
yes. somewhere. And when there's consistent, whether you call it trauma or stress, it shows up somewhere. It has to. Yeah. It has nowhere it else does. to go. So taking it out is a really, really cool way to do it. You are one of the most positive people I've ever met. That's nice of you to say. Well, it just is. And if nobody gets to see the video of you, but you are always smiling. Yeah. What helps you keep such a good mental attitude? Yeah. I, I think that's, that's a hard one too. I, <clears throat> when I think about that, cause I, I hear that sometimes from people I hear sure you're always do. smiling. I, yeah. I hear that. I hear that sometimes. Um, I think that some of that, I think this conversation keeps coming back to points, but I, I honestly think some of that is in a weird way, empathy. And the reason I say that is because I think that I, I recognize who I like to be around and I recognize how other people make me feel. And I, I recognize uh, that, and I think I'm self-aware and I think that I'm very in tune with kind of how other people are acting and making me feel. And so then in turn, I'm very aware of how I might be making them feel. Mm-hmm. And so I think it starts there with, I don't, I don't want to not be true to myself. Right. But I want to, you know, project into the world, something that's going to feel good to other people. And I think that is where it started. Uh, I think that's where my mindset started. That's where how I treat people started and what I put out to the world started is understanding how I felt around other people and how I wanted other people to feel around me. And, but at the same time, I guess, as I'm saying that out loud, there's a a risk of sounding, well, then it's, it's not authentic, right? Because I'm just mm-hmm. putting it out for people. But I do think it is then, and it has become just, I, I think authentically me that is um, it's more value. It's more productive. It's, it makes me feel better when I'm positive. It makes me feel better and it makes other people feel better, which in turn is just a, um, a, a positive circle. And I think that I think back on experiences where I've been around people and I can think of them in my life who have not been like that. And that's very difficult. And I thought, I don't want to be that person. That's not who I want to be. So I want to intentionally try to be positive. One of my mentors, they really stand out, you know? (laughs) Yeah. One of my mentors in residency actually used to say, cause he was talking, he used to talk about leadership and he used to say that you learn and you learn, you learn more about how to be a leader by watching the people who are poor at it than watching the people <laughs> who are bad at it. Because yeah. you're able to see this really is not who I want to be and that doesn't work, which tells you you want to be something else. And so there's some of that. People who aren't happy and positive, you don't want to be around them. It doesn't feel good. And so I think a lot of that drives it. I, I mean, I guess that is complicated. Some of the other things that I do do, though, is um, I mean, I meditate. I'm a, you know, I'm, I, practice mindfulness and i think that has really yeah <laughs> that has that has really you know helped me with that sort of a mindset mm-hmm. i intentionally try to practice gratitude i think that sounds 
uh, easier said than done sometimes, but I think of the intentional things I do. That's one of the intentional things is I, I think a lot about gratitude. That's awesome. Honestly, it's a rare combination, Tony, to have someone who has the emotional EQ that you do, the high level of spiritual awareness that there is an energetic force between everybody and that you, you do impact people, you know, not only mm-hmm. as a medical professional, but the feeling that you give them around them mm-hmm. and that you are absolutely aware of what that is and how to work with that. If you're looking at the two parts of you, you know, the scientific medical background and mm-hmm. this self-aware, spiritually tuned in, tapped in person who understands that energetic field, mm-hmm. which part of you is stronger? Mm. I think the spiritual part of me is stronger outwardly mm-hmm. for sure. But there is that scientific part of me kind of informs that, I guess, is the way to think of it. That's how I think of it, at least. The, I mean, I just talked about deciding to be an ER doctor because it's relationship-based <laughs> and the effect you have on people and everything, right? And so that, <laughs> Yeah, and then the show. <laughs> See, I'm as superficial as everyone else. So there's this, that spiritual part of me is... Uh, probably the most powerful part of me. And I think if you think about my personality and everything else, it certainly is. But it's not to say that it, I also don't have a very scientific um, uh, approach to every to, to many things. Yeah. Right? There's a very logical approach to me. I don't think the two have to be like dichotomous or separated fully. I do think that they are, they can inform one another pretty well. And so it's unusual. You're right. Like I talked to (laughs) the other day, I had a conversation with a nurse. We were in triage doing something. And (laughs) we started to talk. We started to talk and (laughs) Kim, we were working in triage. Oh, we, had, <laughs> we had we started to talk and somehow we started to talk about like what sort of things people wouldn't know about us. Okay. Because because I think I I made some comment about somebody's sneakers and I, I like sneakers. Oh. And she was surprised to hear I like sneakers. <laughs> and I knew it was. So I was like, yeah, there's a lot of things to be surprised. So one of the things we were talking about was crystals and i have uh i i have a belief in crystals i i i think that they yeah there you go i'm not wearing a bracelet but i usually have a crystal bracelet and that's something that's really kind of uh developed and i've i've gone there but there's there's science based in that so when i when i you know practice that sort of thing and get into that sort of thing usually there's part of my brain that is going around the science with it. Yes. And so while there's a lot of mysticism with all of that, the stuff I think that I really gravitate towards and really grabs me, there's some level of science behind it. So perfect explanation. And I'm glad that you are an example of both because a lot of people feel like if I have these mystical, spiritual parts of me, then I'm not, a logical person, or if I'm a linear logical left brain person, this other part of me isn't going to be developed. And it is both. And that's how I have become 
so ingrained in my spiritual beliefs is because there's so much science behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not one to believe something just because someone says it. I need mm-hmm. to know why. I need to actually be able to prove it to myself mm-hmm. and see it in action and see results. And so you're like a walking, living, breathing example of how it actually can work. You know, someone who has education and the experience in a professional setting, but also integrates all of the spiritual things that you know to be true, how to connect with people, that it's an energetic connection, that it is something that can be done almost immediately if you understand it. Mm -hmm. So many people don't understand that it is, there's space between us, but there's also connection between us all of the time. Mm -hmm. So my goal with these conversations is to show people not necessarily tips or tricks, but keys, keys that we can use in our life to not only feel better, have better relationships, have a better understanding of other people, have more empathy, compassion. And if you get to be a ER doctor, more power to you, you know, I would Mm -hmm. say if someone met you, if they met you face to face today, the last thing that they would run to is you've got to be a doctor or dentist or engineer or professor Mm -hmm. or lawyer, because that's not what I sense about you it is the other side on that i i appreciate you saying that and i will say that i wear that kind of as a ba- i take that as a badge of honor and i have always felt that there was some sort of dichotomy to me around that science part that and and what and how i the other parts of me i guess i would say and so you're right in so many ways there. there. And one of them is that physicians and scientists in general that then hear about spiritual or mystical or however you want to label it, mm-hmm. the immediate response is, well, that's because you're illogical and there's no way any of that's true. And you're, you know, only a crazy person believes that and you can't prove it, blah, blah, blah. And <clears throat> that's just out there and how I've always viewed that, I guess, is that you can't prove you, you, there is science behind a lot of this stuff, but it is true. There is a point where there is an amount of intuition or feel or something that confirms it for you. And it may not be, it may not follow the scientific method. It may not be a hypothesis that you're able to prove through a bunch of steps. Right, right. You it, know, it's just I don't kind of a feeling. Just, just knowing it is great. You know, I want to switch gears for a minute because you are a dad mm-hmm. and you've got two great kids and you have an ex mm-hmm. and you have a fantastic relationship mm-hmm. with your ex. Mm-hmm. That's not an easy thing to do. I can attest to that. Yeah, no. For a lot of people, it's a real struggle. We all want the best for our kids. There's nobody who wants to create a dynamics that's hard for them, but sometimes we just can't get out of our own way. Mm-hmm. What has it always been that way that you had a great relationship or what have you done proactively and made decisions to do to get out of your own way and create a life for your children that they feel completely supported and loved? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that my relationship with my ex is one of the things I'm most proud of, yeah. right? We're sitting here talking about me being a doctor and all those things. But I think that my relationship with Sarah is 
you know, one of the things I'm most proud of, but it hasn't always been that way. Certainly. No. And it's, it's probably a really long winded answer, but I, we had a great relationship when we were married and when we, one of the things we never did great as a lot of couples do is conflict. We didn't do conflict. Great. We had different views on how I think that should happen. And it just, we never really reconciled that, I think. So what that means is when we first split, it wasn't like a, unco- a conscious uncoupling, right? Gwen mm-hmm. Paltrow says a conscious uncoupling. It wasn't that. It wasn't all duckies and bunnies and <laughs> everything's great. It was really, really hard. And it was, there was conflict there. And then <clears throat> again, without getting into it, our my situation then dictated that my relationship with Sarah, my kid's mom, uh, it, it informed that and it dictated it. And my situation, I think, then caused more conflict between us. And so for a time, it was there was a lot of conflict there. And the question that I, I wish I could tell people exactly, because I see people in conflict with their exes, and I, I talk with them in our adult world. At, at people who are around our age, there's a lot of people that you meet that are in conflict with their exes. It's, it's all way too common. Mm-hmm. For me, I wish I had the answer for how we absolutely got from any amount of conflict to the kind of utopia or the nirvana that it feels like right now, because I, I do think that our relationship is a, um, the, it, it's a, it's the ideal co-parenting situation. Yes. If I were to answer it then directly after all that, I think what I would say is, I don't know for sure, but what I do know is that there came a time where my situation changed. Uh, the conflict that we were having, I'm not sure I was always comfortable in that conflict. I, I certainly wasn't dealing with it perfectly. And I went to her and we had a conversation. And I think that within that conversation, I needed the relationship to be different for a lot of different way reasons, right? And in that conversation, there was a apology. There was a lot of conversation around kind of how we got to where we were in the conflict. Mm-hmm. And it, for me, after that conversation and in that conversation, I remember feeling like everything that I had been conflicting over or upset over kind of washed away. It was gone. And so from that, and you can try to squash things with people, right? They're there. (laughs) And it's not really squashed. It's still Mm -hmm. there. And then you, you really have to try. It's really hardcore adulting to kind of put that away and move forward with the relationship when you still feel it in your body and in your bones, right? Yeah. That's really difficult to do. The reason my situation feels different and it was different was because I can't fully explain it, but after that, and even before that moment, and then after that moment, all of those things I hung on to, all of those things that maybe would have been driving the conflict or driving my reactions or my pride or whatever it was, it just washed away. It wasn't there. And so moving forward, 
every sort of thing that may have led to some sort of conflict or some sort of mistrust or some sort of anything. It was all happening in the moment and fresh from that point forward. It wasn't attached to anything. So it became totally detached from all of the stuff that had happened and all of the emotions I had had because they, they went away and they were dealt with. So in essence, you have a new relationship and mm-hmm. what you described, I've lived firsthand. I mean, I, I used to harbor a lot of resentments and my body would have visceral physical reactions to the emotions I would feel. And even though those things weren't happening in real time, I still was stuck there. Mm-hmm. And the ability to be able to forgive each other, no matter what happened, and just start mm-hmm. fresh. Mm-hmm. You know? So that is like, oh my gosh, for your children to not be in the middle, to not have to choose, but have both. You know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. dad's good and he's happy mm-hmm. and he's a great father and he's all in and mom's good and she's happy and she's a great mother. And they have the best of both. Mm-hmm. You guys mm-hmm. have really done a phenomenal job at giving them a stable foundation so that whatever happens in their life, they know that they're completely loved and supported. And that is a really unique thing. I was able to get there for my children too. And mine are much older. And there was a time where they were thanking me for not putting them in the middle. doesn't mean I didn't have really strong feelings and emotions at one point, but I held back. I wish I would have had that opportunity to forgive sooner, you know, and unfortunately for the dynamics of my older boys, their father passed away. And so the healing actually came when he was sick. Yeah. And it wasn't a physical healing. He didn't actually survive his physical illness, but his soul and our relationship healed. And that's something that is just bigger than, you know, I mean, it's not about like, you and your ex figuring things out. It's about like what you've been able to give to your kids mm-hmm. and that example. So that no matter what happens in their life, they they've got both of you and they don't have to choose. I've seen my kids in both of the worlds and I can tell you that they thrive yeah. in one and they don't in the other. And so if you ever wanted affirmation of the better way to do it, I, I can, I can show you, but it's, it's it's a unique feeling, isn't it, when that resentment or that conflict or whatever word you want to use goes away. Pain. Yeah, when the pain goes yeah. away and you like re- restart, you push refresh mm-hmm. and whatever happens from here forward is new and it's different, you know, and there isn't as much attachment to who's right, who's wrong. It's just a team effort. That's it. That's it right there. There's You don't have that... A, because you don't have that baggage, it goes away. And right. when that's not there, it's really just what happened in that moment. And mm-hmm. if you don't have resentments towards somebody or that baggage sitting there, those things are, are easy and they have a different perspective and they have a different meaning. I think what's hard is, have you ever tried to, and I know you're good at this because I, I've heard you talk about it a little bit before, but have you ever tried to, consciously just put that aside it feels way differently doesn't it when you say i'm gonna forgive i know i have to forgive this person because it it is the only way to move forward and it and it is good for my soul and this doesn't feel good to have this resentment so i am going to forgive and here i go on the path to forgiveness mm-hmm. that that feels way different when you do it intentionally yeah then 
this other thing that you're talking about and that I'm talking about that it, it happens when there is other reasons and trying to bottle that is I think what the trick would be. And I don't know the answer. You know, there's been times where I thought I'm absolutely right and I shouldn't be the one to forgive first. But what happens is I forgive myself first because it takes two to make every single situation happen. Positive, negative, like it doesn't happen in a vacuum with one person. And so we can look at it from our seat at the table and say, this happened to me, this happened to me, that was wrong, this is wrong. Everybody has their role or you know their responsibilities. But in reality... We're all learning at the same time. We all have a different view of the exact same situation, different experience of it, and a different collection of emotions. And so first to say I was part of it, whatever went right and whatever went wrong, therefore they were also just part of it. They're not the reason, you know, and it's a, it's a story in your history. It's a lesson and it's something that you can really truly grow from. You know, the beautiful thing is, Tony, is like our souls are huge. They're stuck in this little body and our minds are small. Mm-hmm. But the way we operate a lot of times is like this, the mind knows everything and we dismiss what our soul knows. And our soul always wants to forgive. It really does. It wants peace. It wants calmness. It wants to be in an environment where it can just continue to grow and expand and holding on to all that negative stuff. A, will make you sick. And you're never going to be happy. But that's the result. You know, you're just not going to be happy. You, so my goal with these conversations is to really share with people things that they can implement in their life. It's not a checklist of all this stuff, but just nuggets of wisdom. And the reason I wanted to talk to you is because I know that you have so many things, whether you are aware of them or not, people outside of you are aware of them. You've been able to pull all of these different things and create a life that feels good. So if you were to share with people just some wisdom or tips as kind of a parting gift, what would you tell people? Uh, I I think the golden rule is, I think the biggest tip I would give people is treat people how you want to be treated. Mm -hmm. And I think then what's inherent in that is kindness and compassion. And so I believe that if you operate and you start from that spot, everything else is cream cheese. And so if you can come at whatever it is that you're doing and put kindness and compassion first, Mm -hmm. things work out for you. And that would be the, that would be the advice that I give people. That's how I think that when I have lived that, when I have kept that at the front of my mind, when I have stayed true to that, my life seems to work out a lot better than when it doesn't, than when I don't. And so that's it. That's, that's the easiest and most simplest thing I could say. That is true wisdom because the rest falls in place when you lead with that. You know, you don't have to figure it all out. If you're just coming from that place, it becomes really simple. Almost becomes like, for me, one thing I try to do because I have a young child, I follow his lead a lot. He's always happy and he always finds joy in the craziest things. And so I've been finding that I like try to follow what he does. He's my example. And it's pretty simple. 
like there isn't a whole lot of complication in how they operate. That's the best part about having young kids. I'm sure you find that too. Mm-hmm. And so even though I'm ancient for a mother, <laughs> I, yes, I am. I'm advanced maternal age. <laughs> Shame on you guys for calling us that. Uh, yeah, okay? right? Isn't that terrible? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I call it wise, okay? Uh-huh. But I really do feel like if we could all follow the way they operate, we'd be so much further ahead. We just make it too complicated. That's and that's really smart. That's really smart. And I think that that is where I trip up sometimes is (laughs) I have been known to make life a little bit complicated in my head. And so it's again, a blessing and a curse to be uh, a thinker and you can overthink stuff. And I think what you're getting at right there is that it's not so difficult. It doesn't have to be. And I think that goes back to everything we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Whether it's conflict with your ex, whether it's trying to pick a medical specialty, yeah, a lot of it comes down to simple stuff mm-hmm. and keeping it simple. And that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. You're right on. Well, that's because I'm very wise. So <laughs> <laughs> You said it, not me. Well, <laughs> it comes with the advanced maternal age. That's what I, yeah, that's what yep. I was thinking. Yeah, yep. The advanced maternal age. <laughs> I have loved talking to you. So thank you for spending time with us and just giving everybody a piece of your heart, who you genuinely are. And I can say firsthand, if I ever end up in the ER, I'm going to come see you. Well, <laughs> uh, I hope you never have to. I, I tell you people do. that a lot. I hope I never see you. At, I hope I never see you at work. I hope I never see you again. Okay. And that's. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. I. It's. Uh, this is. This has been fun. This is a good conversation. And awesome. It's been great. Thank you, Doctor Tony. You're welcome. You have your own show. It'd be good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll see. I vote for that. Okay. Thank you so much.